welcome to the Contemporary Educator Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to all my fellow educators out there who are trying to balance the many demands placed on the contemporary educator. I have with me a guest today. His name is Josh, and uh, I'm super excited to have you here, Josh. Thank you so much for joining me today. Kim, thank you so much for having me. I'm beyond excited to be able to converse with another educator about this stuff. One of the things that Josh and I are going to be talking about today um, is kind of the difference between public and private education. And there's a number of differences within that. But um, given that my podcast focuses a lot on mental health, I'm going to be tailoring some of the questions to mental health so Josh can give us some insight on kind of what private education looks like and um, and what he's noticed in his experiences within that sector. So Josh, where are you from, first of all? So currently I reside in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm originally from Avondale, but uh, for some reason I seem to like the heat and I love, you know, having uh, flesh wounds from uh, the sun. So this is always a great place to live. Um, but yes, I, I actually live out here. I work out here and yeah, it's fantastic. Awesome. Um, what grades do you teach and how long have you been a teacher? Great question. So I've actually been a teacher. I'm going into my seventh year of teaching and it seems insane to say that now because I started when I was 22, fresh out of college, no idea about the world. So going into a seventh year and I mean, you know this, you kind of get used to becoming a, you know, a teacher and the routine and what goes with the life. Um, Mm -hmm. And I teach grades nine through 12 uh, English, uh, different levels, of course, and and also a class called the Science of Creativity. It's actually new this year and it's going to be mind blowing. That's interesting. How did you like what? What is that? First of all, (laughs) (laughs) so I I actually so I had a free elective this year and they're like, oh, what do you want to teach? And due to the some due to the pandemic in the summer, I uh, started diving a lot into my own creativity and creativity of my friends and the science behind it. So and also I watch a lot of reality television shows. So for some reason, you know, the competition reality shows. And I was just thinking, wow, these people are so talented and how they're given a task and they can create these beautiful things. Uh, So I wanted to incorporate that in an academic setting and really dive into what is the science behind creativity? How can you find your way? And then how do you apply that when given a task? So it's individual for everybody. Cool. So it sounds like some inquiry-based learning and some project-based work for sure absolutely project-based learning which i'm very excited about and the cool thing with my school in particular and my job is it's students with learning differences so a lot of dyslexia dysgraphia high functioning autism uh, adhd of course i'm right there with them i'm like kids i empathize (laughs) so uh just a, a lot of different uh things going on and especially um, a lot with mental health. So that's why I'm so excited that you're bringing up these topics and we can discuss them. Cool. Thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. What made you decide that you wanted to become a teacher? The funny thing is I had never wanted to become a teacher originally. So this is the whole story. I tell kids, I'm like, you think that you have an idea of what you want to do, but then just wait. Um, So I actually wanted to be a translator at a, uh, in a casino in Vegas originally. That's I was all about it. hundred percent. I, I was like, I, I'm 22. I know everything. I'm ready to be greedy. I'm ready to make all this money. I, you know, I want to live this Vegas lifestyle. But then I actually joined. Uh, I at the end of my college experience, I'm like, let's give myself options. So I joined Teach for America 
I'm like, I need to grow up a little bit. And yeah, I started fresh when I was 22, no teaching experience. And it turned out to be the best thing that's ever happened to me, without a doubt. I'm happy the way my, my, my life, uh, the journey my life took. So I, I would be a completely different person if I would have went the other route. Yeah. It's actually <laughs> funny, like how many people fall into teaching and then they actually are like very passionate and, and excited about the profession once they're in it. For sure. And I, and I never expected myself to uh, really flourish at it because I, I didn't really, I didn't study English as my undergraduate. I studied Mandarin Chinese and East Asian studies, complete opposite from English. Uh, but, but uh, it was, uh, it, it was just such a great thing. And I'm charismatic. So of course, I want to, you know, be in front of people. I want to talk to people. But did you have a similar experience or did you always know you wanted to be a teacher? Oh, no, I definitely didn't want to be a teacher. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. When I was in high school, I was very confident that I was going to be the next big Broadway star. Oh. And so I went into school for acting and um, my folks really wanted me to get a degree because they said, even if it's a theater degree, at least you've got something to fall back on. You know, you can continue your education, whatever. And uh, so I said, fine, whatever, like I, uh, I'll skip flying to New York today and I'll go to university <laughs> first. And I'm really glad that I did because when I got to, <laughs> when I got to school, I realized that acting in high school and acting professionally and semi-professionally is really different. And I didn't much connect with the types of people that I was working with and it just wasn't really mm -hmm. my thing. So I ended up taking, instead of acting, um, I took acting for two years and then I dropped the program and went into what's called applied theater and that's theater for community development, social change and education. And I really fell in love with it then. And I worked in like, I focused on prison theater and drama therapy. And so then I was like, okay, I can still do theater, but I don't have to, um, be an actor and, mm -hmm. um, I can still use these skills and, and this thing that I'm passionate about. And then I went into my teaching degree because like what better way to learn how to work with groups and community than in schools. And then as soon as I was doing my teaching degree, I realized I could actually do all of those things as a teacher. <laughs> I didn't have to try to reinvent the wheel and no. build my own program or whatever. I could do it as a teacher. And so, yeah, that's what I've been doing since. And it's, it's really interesting that you say that um, with the, the fact that you can incorporate everything together, including your skills as an actor. I actually do find that those people that maybe have that theater background or that acting background are usually very successful in the classroom because they have that personality. They know that they can put on one of those straight faces when you're having a, you know, a bad day because yeah. you've got to perform. You have to perform. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you also have a YouTube channel. And so talking about performance, um, <laughs> Mr. Goody Grammar, can you tell me more about how you got started doing that and, and what led to the creation of that channel? I am so excited that you're bringing up, yeah, Mr. Goody Grammar on YouTube and you can go to www.mrgoodygrammar.com. And then I do, I'll do a little like wink there with a little you know chime in the background <laughs> for plugging. <laughs> um, but uh, I, um, when the pandemic started uh, and we went into lockdown, I, this was probably about March and I, you know, I'm jumping into virtual teaching. I said to myself, how can I kind of like you incorporate all my, my talents, my passions into one thing and really get the most out of this quarantine. I don't want to sit there watching, you know, reruns of 
rock of love from 13 years ago, uh, you know, on my couch, I want to do something that's, you know, good for me as a creative outlet and also helps other people. So I decided to start creating my own educational YouTube channel with outrageous kind of episodes, you know, um, I'm fighting uh, different, you know, cartoon birds and dolphins during an interjection episode. Or... Your video editing is very impressive, I have to say. <laughs> I am so, I am so grateful that you said that. I actually learned that, I learned the video editing on, by myself in April. So, uh, <laughs> so I kind of just picked it up because I wanted to make it quality. And the big thing, especially being someone in special education, I wanted to make it accessible to all different types of learners. So I made, there are five to 10 minute long videos about different grammar points, so many lessons. All episodes are chunked into different categories to help the flow. So we know the first part is to get us engaged and then here's your content and here's practice and here's you know your assessment. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of just, uh, it's riddled with humor and just to get everyone going, it has subtitles for those that are, you know, they're audio impaired, uh, well, I mean, they're listening and then um, dyslexic friendly fonts, a whole bunch of stuff, just so it's accessible for everyone. So okay. it just it just kind of became a giant passion and I, I love it. And so I made sure to put free guided notes at the bottom of every video because I want teachers to have it. I want That's students so cool. to have it. Yeah, yeah thank sure you. Thank include, you. Yeah, no, I love it. And it's, it's a great way to, um, yeah, to connect with students when you can't be face to face with them either, because there's something so different about seeing video. And um, like, I'm a huge advocate for sharing video and sharing parts of ourselves in video with students, particularly particularly during this time, because they already feel such a disconnect from school. And so to see real teachers, real people who are doing this and putting the, their whole hearts and whole selves into it is, um, such a great way to keep them connected with learning and to make them feel like learning hasn't stopped. Bingo. Oh, see, you are just so on point. You, I, <laughs> I swear you deserve your, your doctorate in, you know, philosophy, mental health, everything like you're, you're, you're on top of it. Uh, that's exactly, that's exactly um, how I feel and kind of the mission behind it. Cause I saw, it, it, I mean, you know, this, that, that fourth quarter, um, once the pandemic really hit, it was a lack of engagement mm -hmm. and I'm very much a person like I'm like come on everybody like that's my classroom style I want everyone to be involved I want it to be fun mm -hmm. and I want learning to occur mm -hmm. so that that's kind of like the the creation behind it yeah I know it's great and it's great that you took it to that next level too where you're actually sharing that resource with other teachers because I know a lot of folks feel at a real loss on how to engage and not every teacher out there um, feels comfortable in front of a camera or mm -hmm. wants to you know put themselves out there like that and it doesn't necessarily have to be them that is the one doing that for it to still be engagement and for kids to still be able to connect to material so it's great to have those resources at people's disposal i appreciate that and definitely what you know throwing it out there uh is gonna i i especially in public school, you know, it's a, it's a, a giant rush, you know, teachers are grasping for resources, engagement. So the fact that it's uh, already done for them is something really exciting. And mm -hmm. it's just giving back to educators that have helped me in the past, collaborate, giving me resources. And again, we're a community. We need to champion each other right now. Totally. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, so Josh, you teach in a private school now. Um, did you, 
know that you wanted to be teaching in private school or how did you transition into private school from the public sector? It is so funny that you said that. Once again, I, I had never thought about private school. It was never an option in my mind for me because I, when I started teaching, I was at a Title I school, so low socioeconomic public school. Mm -hmm. In my hometown, actually, I actually got uh, placed at my old high school. Oh, Out wow. of anywhere in the country, yeah. TFA put me at my, uh, my old high school. I don't my know hometown. that I'd be welcome to teach at my old high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, and I was thinking about that initially. I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do in high school? I'm my old teachers, like, are they gonna, you know, <laughs> give me crap? You know, I have siblings of people I graduated with. Uh, and I will tell you, it, uh, it turned out to be such a, a blessing. It really did in the sense that uh, it was, I really, I was able to give back to my community, mm -hmm. but also they helped me grow up so much. I learned that I did not know it all at 22. Shock. Crazy. Um, <laughs> I, uh, and I just, it, it created a sense of empathy, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just, and helping. So I, but here's the thing, and you were talking about it uh, a little bit earlier the idea of just all these hours that go into teaching at a public school. I had 40 kids per class and six classes a day, you know, it, so a lot, uh, especially in public school with uh, special ed, if, you know, it's an inclusive classroom and you don't have a paraprofessional in there, some, an aide helping out, uh, you have to do those accommodations. You have to, you know, make sure you're doing right by the student, but it's difficult because you're managing a million things. So that's why I really wanted to, uh, it's just pushing back to goody grammar for a second to make that accessible because I learned that mm -hmm. from public school. Yeah. But uh, okay, sorry. Back 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 to your question. That was a whole <laughs> whole exciting, never-ending journey. Um, I uh, I actually met one of my my closest friends teaching. She got hired with me as a math teacher, and after her second year of teaching in public school, she actually jumped over to a private school. And that's where I currently work right now because she she pulled me over after my third year in public <laughs> school. She said she was like, "You'll be a you'll be a great um, special ed teacher, right? Like you've done public school. Like let's translate it over here." Yeah. And I thought this is a great opportunity to grow. Um, this, you know, this is something that is needed. I kind of needed a change. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, they kind of uh, snatched me over after my third year, and I've been there ever since. Nice. Um, so what do you most enjoy about being in a private school and what do you see as some of the strengths of your school? Wow. The, uh, oh my gosh, Barbara Walters. These are great questions. I'm just <laughs> like, wow. Um, I would say probably the strength is I get more time with the students because it's smaller class sizes. And that is, you know, in public school, you're, you, you have all these kids and you want to create these deep connections, but you only have a limited amount of time. Mm -hmm. So public school, I mean, sorry, so private school, just uh, having more time and just a smaller amount of students really helps with that connection and also with mastery. I have more time to work one-on-one -on -one with students mm -hmm. and really build those skills where I initially didn't necessarily get that in public school. Mm -hmm. I would say a second big pro is really the the community in a different sense. And I know we're going to talk about differences later, but uh, the community is supportive, the parents in particular, and the connections that come with it. And it's just a really uh, 
positive, uplifting type of environment. Mm -hmm. That's great. Because you don't always find families that engage with their students learning in the public sector, you know, like I'm constantly at that in that battle of um, trying to engage parents, trying to get families on board. And often they just don't have the means through which to do that. And, um, you know, when you've got one parent in the household and they're working 12 to 14 hours a day to try to support multiple children, it's, they can't come to parent teacher night, you know, they can't drop everything and ensure that they can come in and talk about their child's report card or even that they'll be available when you're making calls home. So yeah, it's, it's a different, that part is, um, is definitely a, a challenge in the public sector. So it's nice to hear uh-huh. that you're actually able to make those familial contacts when you're in the private sector. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that was something completely new to me. And it was actually quite terrifying at first because, you know, I'm coming in and uh, the English position at the school. Um, I don't, are you a Harry Potter fan by any chance? Um, I'm, this is about to be blasphemous. I have watched the movies. That's it. I, you have just <laughs> been canceled on every platform. I'm just, every educator right now is screaming in their and car. And I teach English. I know. I know. I'm like, <laughs> what is happening? Uh, I'm like, I'm sorry. I have to go. This interview is over. Um, no, fair enough. But, fair enough. <laughs> but you had uh, like the defense against a dark arts teacher. And you know how it was like a new teacher every year and mm-hmm. everything. So at, at the private school, that's what had occurred. So I'm coming in and there's a lot of opposition. Plus, I'm incredibly, you know, young. I was 25 mm-hmm. when I joined uh, that staff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the parents, just how involved they are, was incredibly intimidating at first. I'm sure. Because I'm like, here's, you know, a lot of the parents had, since it was special ed, had fought public school systems, mm-hmm. had fought different private schools for accommodations. So I wanted to make sure that, again, I did right by them. But it was, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you empathize completely. In public school, you would call the parents and it's hard because they're they're much more limited mm-hmm. and and in private school I'll get maybe five emails a day from parents so it's completely it's completely different yeah 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 totally well and I think that's important to note though like when when people are choosing their career whether they're going to go public or they're going to go private education mm-hmm. I think that we often think about how our relationships are going to be with students, but we don't consider what our relationships are going to be like with their families. And um, I think it's often overlooked that working with parents can be very intimidating. It <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely can be. And it's it's a whole different ball game. Like if I have a kid that comes in and tells me to fuck off, which happens pretty regularly, um, <laughs> you know that. <laughs> <laughs> I worked oh, in a jail oh. for three years. I got used to it. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, you know, it's really, it's different because that doesn't necessarily damage that relationship, but you have to mm-hmm. be so careful and really walk on eggshells in, in first building relationship with parents because there, there are so many complicated um, situations at play in how, how their relationship is with their child and, and all of these other interwoven things that I think we don't think about as educators when we're deciding where we want to work. Absolutely. And then like building off that in particular, the, the parents, right. It's, and a lot of parents in public school, like if their kids are used to getting in trouble, they, when they see that, um, that phone call from the school, it's this automatic anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do have a question in particular. uh, I keep saying in particular, I do have a question. So do you find that parent involvement can, or lack 
of parent involvement is more detrimental to the mental health of a student or like too much parent involvement is also detrimental. Like what are your thoughts about parent involvement and how it affects the mental health of the student? That's a really great question. So Thank you. Um, when I have, when I've, when I worked specifically on the high risk team doing um, counseling for suicidal youth, when I first started that, my first few clients there were, um, you know, a, a demographic in which they were struggling with a lot of different areas. They did, maybe didn't have any parent involvement or very minimal. They were maybe part of the system and were in foster care, these kinds of things. The longer I worked there, the more students I actually had being referred from private schools. And the pressure of privatized education and the, and the expectations that were being placed on them by these otherwise, you know, from the outside looking in, seemingly perfect families um, was getting to be too much for some of these young people to bear. So it's hard to say, you know, um, it's obviously really important for families to be involved in their child's education, but I do mm -hmm. think that it can cross the point in being too much um, to the point where the child has no autonomy over their own existence anymore. And then that's when you lose autonomy and you lose freedom of choice and you don't have control, that's when you get anxiety because you're grasping at areas mm -hmm. in which you can find some semblance of control in your life. And that's when you start to get what some people perceive as like behavior problems in school. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just young people trying to find ways to, to like have some autonomy and, and some, self-expression that isn't yes. being controlled and manipulated by somebody else and that's so on point and i actually i, I i've seen that various times in the private working at a private school where this um this immense amount of pressure that parents put on their children and also especially when it comes to uh what they want to do with their future mm -hmm. because um a lot of you know not all the families at my school are you know a little well off, especially compared to public education, you know, the families there. But, um, you know, their their high expectations for their child to succeed or be a certain thing when it isn't necessarily what the student wants to do. And that is that is crushing. That is very crushing. Um, and also, also, I feel like uh, uh, the limitation, you know, especially spe special ed, the limitation some parents put on their kids where they're like, oh, because their child has this, they're not capable of doing this. Oh, yeah, and that isn't, always the, that isn't always the case. So yeah, I completely agree that too much mm -hmm. can be definitely a, a bad thing. Yeah, totally. And like, it's interesting that you say, um, you know, them having these perceived limitations on their child mm -hmm. already, because you see that in mental health a lot too, where a yeah. young person who's really struggling with anxiety or depression, and maybe they even have the label for it already, and um, they've been diagnosed with major depressive disorder or with generalized or social anxiety disorder. And now they suddenly feel like that's who they are and that's part of their existence. And their parents yeah. support that belief too, that no, they've got anxiety, they can't do this or they won't be able to do that. And um, it's just, it's crazy what you actually see when you start to ask the kid what it is that they want to do and how they want to go about doing it. And you give them the means to do it Mo more often than not, I'd say, you know, they're going to surprise you. 100%. And that's, I like, that's the beautiful thing. I mean, you know, this as an educator, especially working with, you know, at-risk youth, it's like, if you give them an avenue to be successful, like these children, they want to be successful. They want to have that choice. They, they want to, 
you know, be themselves. Mm -hmm. So giving them that avenue that they normally wouldn't get, you know, in a home setting or just if they were deprived in general is a beautiful gift. Mm -hmm. And do you also, and I am so happy you brought this up going off the limitations portion when it comes to mental health in particular, I, I like to think of uh, depression, right? Uh, in the sense that sometimes it can be incredibly debilitating, especially mm -hmm. for a teen, and they have a million things going on at school. And I dislike when adults or even educators jump to the conclusion that they're being lazy. Well, and, and oftentimes, and this is what's great about high school, when kids have more than one teacher that they see in a day. Yes. Because what you'll often find is that when they're struggling in one class, they're not in another one. And you can sit there and, and say, okay, well, it's because they're really good at English or it's because they are really good at art. But chances are it's more because they have a really strong relationship with the teacher. And because that teacher, when the student comes in and the student is struggling and they're having a, a day where they're feeling exceptionally dis depressed or exceptionally anxious, it's okay to let them put their head on their desk for half an hour to give them that space to decompress before they start to resume their academics or maybe they just need to go for a walk first or get some water whatever the case may be um chances are the student is is more likely to be able to engage more fully if they have a relationship with their teacher and that the teacher can give them free space to manage their emotion the way that they need to and i think that some educators can't understand the difference between a response to contextual stimuli like for instance, having a really crummy day, of course they're going to feel low. And who, like, I don't come home from work after having a particularly rough day and say, okay, time to do all my unit planning. Like, there's yeah. no way. I sit down <laughs> and I have dinner and I, I binge watch reality TV until I fall asleep, <laughs> cry into my dog's fur. I don't know, but I'm certainly not doing my homework. So we just need to have a little more grace for those students. But you're totally right. There's this assumption that it's laziness that is leading to that lack of, of productivity or engagement. Absolutely, and then it's it's really just taking that empathetic point of view that we have to as educators, like I understand the, the sternness, right? Like classroom management is my number one thing. I thrive, I love having structure and organization and you know high expectations for the students in terms of behavior. But that doesn't mean that we can't foster and support these types of coping strategies, right? Or understanding your example about, hey, this student's having a bad day, they can put their head down for 30 minutes and then we're back into it. They're most like they're more likely to be engaged. Third, it's like if they're not going to pay attention regardless for those 30 minutes because they're so, you know, distracted with, you know, a million different things in their head, it's like, are you really losing out by being understanding? Yeah, exactly. And I know, like, we're all human, right? And if we think back oh, yeah. through our own times, there have been days when I have been less productive as an employee, and there have been days when it's been exceptionally difficult for me to engage in my classes. And as somebody who has struggled with anxiety myself, like, I, I know what that is like. And um, yeah, we just need to have a little bit of grace. We can't expect students to be on from 830 in the morning until 330 in the afternoon and just be able to fill that time with engagement from start mm -hmm. to finish, we have to allow them space to decompress throughout the day. Absolutely, and it's so it's so important to have those breaks in between to also process information mm -hmm. and decompress. I, I love that word, decompress is super, super important. 
it doesn't all education doesn't always have to be high stakes totally i think that lots of people have this misunderstanding that mental health is something that only folks in high risk or at risk areas experience that that mm. depression suicidality addictions all of these things are things that are unique um, in their extreme forms to lower socioeconomic areas, marginalized populations and at-risk populations. What would you say that you notice your students struggling with the most in public school? Because I, and I'm sure that you would agree, that's just not true. It's just not true that mental health is, is exclusively a, a struggle that um, certain demographics have. I think it's pretty universal. Absolutely. I And you know, with teens in general, like they have their everyday kind of drama, but across the board in terms of, let's say, depression in particular, because that's that's an epidemic that needs to be discussed, mm -hmm. uh, that these these students, whether it was in public school or now in private school, they suffer from the same thing. It isn't specific just to public school or low socioeconomic communities. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about you know, relatively wealthy families, and they're struggling with these things. And especially, and especially with uh, students with learning differences uh, in special education, they, that's even more amplified because, you know, they're facing that stigma of, um, of society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. And I think, yeah, there, there's something to be said too for, um, you know, acknowledging that social justice and mental health play a role in one another, but it doesn't make it um, so that, you know, young people in more affluent areas aren't also experiencing the difficulties of the world, you know, and that there aren't young people who are also experiencing, um, yeah, different levels of mental health concerns. I, it's it, and I'm happy. I'm happy that you you brought that up in the sense of the experiences of the students in public and private in terms of their their lifestyles are completely different. Mm -hmm absolutely completely different but it doesn't uh it doesn't um invalidate you know mm -hmm. their their struggles right that it's it is a universal struggle but i do believe in public school like that is some of them have a really hard it's like you know their a parent might not be in the picture like they they might be facing you know jail time i've had students with ankle bracelets um you know they might be facing abuse mm -hmm. uh there's there's a you know there's a whole bunch of Not other mention, factors like all the systemic stuff at play too right you know, oh, like, that's, like the that's systemic racism yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah oh my god totally. i'm american i will definitely you know i would definitely talk about that rampant issue you know considering yeah. uh we, we got a lot of stuff going on right now totally totally and i mean we do in canada as well it's just maybe a yeah absolutely more, um i think in canada we have a, a a really good way of pretending it doesn't exist and thinking that we're superior <laughs> yeah. to people who are having those difficulties because while that doesn't happen in Canada, actually racism is a very prevalent issue here. We just don't talk about it the same way or it's not, um, it's just not, it's not as prevalent in the news, you yeah, know, but and, it, it's still happening. My friend Amy, she said probably one of the one of the most profound things that just hit me, especially as like a white male. And I know we're not necessarily going into race, but she said uh, she said racism has always existed. The difference is right now uh, it's like dust. You don't see it with the naked eye, but you shine a light on it, and it's everywhere. Yeah, totally. And I thought that was very well said. Yeah, uh, really and. Like that. 
and kind of actually bring that into the difference with public and private. Mm -hmm. I remember I had a class of, and there was literally one white student in it. And then over in private, in the private sector, um, my school has maybe 50 students in the high school. And I'm going to say maybe four are um, people of color. Wow. And the rest are Caucasian. A huge, huge difference. So that even shows a disparity there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what assumptions do you think that people often make? I know we've talked about some of them already, but do you think that people often make about private school um, that are incorrect? The assumptions that people might have about the school in particular? That, again, is such a great question. In terms of assumptions, I'm going to say that uh, it it is this idea that you get more of an elevated um, education in private school, right? That they're, mind you, again, it's like uh, private schools have more uh, resources, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, I would say the assumption that they're always getting a better education isn't necessarily true because great things do happen in public, at public schools, really, really, um, I'm going to say, game-changing type of educational strategies Mm -hmm. and innovation because there is a lack of resources. There are a lack of resources. But in private school, I guess the assumption that um, you can only get a better education if you go to a private school isn't necessarily true. Right. Mind you, I'm completely pompous. So I say, you know, of course, come come to, you know, my classroom. I'll teach you whatever you want to know. Yeah. You know, like you'll get even better education. But um, but I would say that's a huge, a huge assumption. Um, I would also say that I, the, there's an assumption that private schools are very cold. It's very much like a machine that just, you know, produces, this is all you have to do. And here's all this and AP and IB and all these different, you know, and this is just Mm -hmm. test oriented. Um, where no, there's a lot more flexibility and focus on, um, an individual's growth Mm -hmm. because we have more freedom in, uh, in a private school compared to a public school. That's so funny. Both of the things that you just said are assumptions that I have about, about private school. Yeah, okay. So, so I hit it, right? I hit it pretty well. Nail on the head, yeah. Okay. We have, a, <laughs> we have one public school here that essentially operates. It's technically a public school, but it's in our most affluent area in Victoria, in, in BC. And um, so they basically operate much like a private school would. They have tons of donations from parents every year. Like, for instance, their theater program last year had one fundraiser and made 40 grand. Whereas like my theater program, I'm like, I'm like, please give us money. We, we have nothing. And they're like, <laughs> from everything, by the time the smoke clears, they're like, here's $1,500, which isn't even enough to cover my royalties. Like, so <laughs> it's just the real difference in affluence. Right. And, and I had the, I totally have this assumption about what, um, about the, I'm like, if nothing else, my kids have heart. Like we've got heart at our school and, and it's not necessarily the case that private schools don't have heart. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But mind you, I feel I feel mine is is kind of an anomaly in terms of, I guess, like the specialization and the culture that was crafted. Because I, I look at a lot of private schools in the area or competition and they are very much that cold machine. So the assumption isn't necessarily necessarily wrong, but uh, from my own experience, it yeah. was it was vastly different from what I expected. To be honest right. with you, I was expecting a lot of like, oh, indubitably, like I have millions of dollars, <laughs> and 
you will never teach my child correctly. And it totally turned out to be the exact opposite of what yeah. I expected. And I'm yeah. sure that the educators that you guys have there make a really big difference in making it feel more welcoming and warm rather than being that kind of machine, right? Absolutely. And I feel very blessed with the high school team that I'm on right now uh, because of the fact of we are only like I'm the only high school English teacher. There's only, you know, one high school science teacher and we all have different personalities, different teaching styles. But at the end of the day, our number one focus is just the happiness of the kid. Mm-hmm. And that's a, I, I want to actually bring ask you ask you a question. You were um, we're talking about. Uh, you know, lack of resources in terms of education, especially at a public school. Mm-hmm. Do you find that that also goes into awareness with mental health, uh, mental health and coping strategies for students in public? Because I find in private, they're a lot more supportive with that stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad. That was actually my next question for you, is how many like counselors or folks um, that support mental health do you actually have at your school? We actually have ton. We we have a um, a, psychi- a psychiatrist that's actually on um, on staff as well that handles handles that. So students come to her, and she's great with that. Just breaking down uh, a lot of CBT mm-hmm. takes place, um, and just and we have actually uh, at the school in general because we're we're first grade through twelfth grade, but they're separated, of course, into three different schools, um, but. I, I do find that across the board, it's there's so many there's so much implementation of mindful of mindfulness and mindful practices that um, yeah they're definitely fully supported compared to public school where it was like one counselor per 400 kids you know and and only the most dire situations would be addressed right away and so many things fell you know between the cracks mm-hmm. not to you know the public school's fault but it's just it's overloaded. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what we experienced too. Like our school um, has almost a thousand students, mm-hmm. and um, it's grade nine through twelve, and we have two counselors, and then we have what's called like youth and family counselors. And our two counselors are mostly there for academic support, so students who are wanting to sh- switch out of their classes or. Um, you know, rearrange their timetable or they're having a conflict with a teacher, those kinds of things. Whereas our youth and family counselors, um, they're there for kind of the mental health support. But in BC, in Canada, we don't actually have to, you don't have to be regulated to call yourself a counselor. You don't have to have um, a certain type or level of training quite often. Wow. So for instance, like myself, I have a master's in counseling psychology, and then I registered as a clinical counselor here in BC so that I, I have the credentials, but not everyone, not everyone does. Our school, we're really fortunate. The people that we have are, are pretty fantastic, but not every school has a youth and family counselor who's a qualified or certified counselor, and they don't get paid very well. So it's really hard to attract people who are certified or qualified to those positions because Anybody who does have or is able to register as a counselor in BC, you have to have an MA and um, you have to have done a certain number of practical hours under a a psychologist. And so it's really hard to get registered as well. And and, um, you don't wanna, after doing all of that work, get paid peanuts for, for this job that's very taxing. So 
we're like severely underfunded for like what yeah. it is that what our what our population is experiencing um for sure so it's interesting it's interesting to hear you know you have a psychiatrist on staff we have a psychiatrist shortage here in in canada as well in bc um like kids will be on wait lists for months to see a psychiatrist yeah and that's and that just blows my mind because especially you know i mean mind you we're talking mental health is universal but we're talking about the a lot of experiences that students have in public school is something that a student in private school wouldn't necessarily experience mm -hmm. um so the the lack of funding is just it's incredibly tragic over here um if a teacher were to give like kind of like mental health advice or something and we're not you know qualified to do so we can face serious legal repercussions for doing something, even even mentioning something as a very much a declarative to the student about that, we can actually get sued and fired. Wow. Um, what resources do you wish that you guys had that you don't have? Are there anything that is there anything that you've thought of that you know you wish that you'd been able to provide for your students or that you wish that they could see or have access to that you haven't been able to provide? In public school or pri in private school? In private, correct? yeah. I again, I I'm I feel like uh, I kind of hit the lottery with my school because mm -hmm. they are so proactive for resources because we're we're um fo we're so specialized. So it, it is like the idea of if I need a resource for a student or if a student obviously asks the administration for it, they usually end up getting it. But that's the power of private schools. They have that funding. They have you know donations from parents or tax credits or you know ESA funding. Um, so I actually, I don't find necessarily a lot of limitations with the resources that I get because there's so many people, specialized people on staff and also money that goes into it. Right. Public school, on the other hand, it was you, I mean, you, you know what it's like, uh, and it goes back to my comment earlier, public school teachers have to be very creative mm -hmm. with how they get resources or create resources. Um, you know, and that, that's, I, again, you as a creative person, my, myself as well, um, we've had to, you know, MacGyver some things and do some things on the spot that uh, I don't necessarily have to do at my school, at a private school now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so your, your school is specifically special education, is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So every single teacher there would be trained in special education and, and provides those resources in in whatever their subject area the funny thing is is that um like we have a lot of uh they're called flex teachers so one-on-one -on -one teachers that are usually more uh trained and certified with special education mm -hmm. but we're we're technically general ed teachers because mm -hmm. we have the content uh, so I don't necessarily have like that, that special ed background, to be honest with you, uh, you kind of pick it up as, as you mm -hmm. go and really, really just pushing that. I have teacher certification, second yes. ed, uh, secondary ed, but, um, I find that good teaching practices are good teaching practices totally. regardless. Yeah. Yeah. I actually did the same thing. Like before I was at the school that I was at now, I was at, um, a nonprofit independent school, so they didn't pay mm -hmm. tuition, but um, it was for at-risk and high-risk young women who um, were either pregnant and parenting or were trans youth who didn't feel safe in their regular school system. And so they didn't pay tuition, but we were small. We had, 
I think our, our capacity, we had 52 students when I was there and we had three teachers and three counselors. And although we didn't have the funding to be able to provide a ton of resources, we had the, the like power to be able to just based on um, sheer ratio of, of adult to youth that we happened to have. We had a daycare on site, like we, ha we were able to provide some of those kinds of resources, um, but it was designated a special ed school too. And same thing, you pick it up as you go, you know, as you get to know yeah. students, whatever tips and tricks there are for being able to provide those resources, um, you tailor them to the individual anyhow. A hundred, a hundred percent. And yeah, just learning. And this is what gets me about, um, you know, curriculums that just focus on mastery when it comes to tests is that it's totally, it's totally getting rid of that idea of, you know, individual growth and different learning styles. I always say, Hey everyone, I have high expectations. It's the idea we have this goal over here, but everyone's going to find different paths to get to that goal. Let's find it. This is going to be mm -hmm. fun. It's a challenge as a teacher. I do want to say, and this is not it, me insincerely gassing you up. Thank you so much for what you do for at-risk youth. And you brought up like trans in particular, which is a totally forgotten about group, right? Mm -hmm. And especially in teens and it's huge suicide rate. And I know you focus on mental health, but mm -hmm. I just want to say thank you for doing that because a, a lot of teachers just, you know, it's like they uh, clock in, clock out, it's mm -hmm. done, right? But the fact that you take it beyond the classroom to be able to volunteer at these different places and really make a change. But you have to think, talking to one, one teenager that is trans and they maybe not, they don't have that family support, like that could totally change your lives. So I think you, you're kind of setting that example of what teachers should do beyond just the common expectations to make a difference. Like you got me hyped up. I'm inspired. I'm like, Hey God, I'm, I'm, I need to go find like a, you know, a charity I'm passionate about. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really, but I really, I really wanted to thank you about that when, uh, you know, when you were uh, bringing that up. Thank you. Like, that's very, very important. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been really lucky with the work that I've found because, um, I guess my passion to work with at risk youth. I have a bunch of different reasons as to why, but, um, mm -hmm. I, you know, feel really fortunate that I've, I've kind of fallen into the work that I have and that I get to work with the young people that I do. And, um, yeah, if there's, you know, like you said, mental health is, is a huge issue for our LGBTQ two plus students, um, because of the discrimination that they face and, um, the ongoing daily challenge. Like just imagine having to tell somebody every single day to not call you by your dead name, like, or every single day to correct somebody's pronouns. Like just imagine that, you know, like I, I can't imagine how difficult that would be. And so, like you said, suicide rates for those youth are significantly higher than they are for our cisgender, um, and and heteronormative youth. So, um, yeah, it's if the more that we can do in our classes to help make sure that those youth feel seen, heard and valued for who they are, I think the better, you know, and and kind of going off that and you know, this is something I don't I don't talk about with students ever, right? I am def I'm part of like the LGBTQ community, right? And um, you know, but I have never had that conversation with students one because you know there's that professional you know side of it but i always think to myself you know what am i doing to really help you know my own students that are 
you know, LGBTQ plus um, to, you know, embrace themselves. And, you know, I, my words can impact them, but I'm not necessarily saying that. So the fact that you're going out there and doing these things, that's why I was like, wow, you know, it's making me reflect on that as a, a as an educator going, what, what am I doing, especially for people that are, are like me? And so my question for you is, especially in you're saying that you, you know, you suffer from anxiety and there's a lot of teachers that have different um, mental health issues. Do you think that, or even just different personalities, like for example, my sexual orientation, or maybe it's religion. Do you find that um, it is appropriate for teachers to share that if it is boosting uh, a positive morale? It's not necessarily lecturing. It's more of like creating acceptance, if that makes sense. Totally, yeah. Um, I'm a huge advocate for being open and honest with my students. Yeah. But the difference here is um, anything that I share with students doesn't put them in agency, meaning that mm -hmm. they don't end up feeling as though they have to feel bad for me, they have to take care of me, or that they have yep. to do something for me. And so if I tell students, hey, like I, if I see a student struggling with anxiety and I say, look, like, I feel you, I experience a lot of anxiety too. And here's mm -hmm. the areas that I find really triggering and, and difficult for me. Let's talk yeah. about that. I'm not asking them to solve it for me, but I am humanizing the experience for them and normalizing it. And so I think it's the same, you know, with, with sexual orientation or anything else. I think as long as, you know, we're not putting them in a position of agency where they then have to take care of us, all we're doing is positioning ourselves as humans in, in their lives that they can understand and that they can trust and um, that maybe they can relate to and feel like actually it can get better. This is a functional adult who's going through what I'm going through right now. And um, I think that that can be really powerful and an important relationship builder. Absolutely. And it and kind of goes with the idea of like culturally responsive teaching, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that it's not just, you know, we're not just reading about white males where, you know, like this Eurocentric idea. It's like we can incorporate mental health also into the curriculum and also ourselves. Like kids, kids are the first ones to pull out a phony. You know that like they, they will pick that out and, uh, you know, call you on it. They want oh, authenticity. Yeah. So like I express a lot with like my ADHD because I empathize with them. Like I have to take medication every day, but I've always kind of been like, Ooh, about more of the, the personal stuff. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I, I'm just kind of, you're making me have a lot of epiphanies right now. I'm just, <laughs> uh, I'm just saying like, I am having some form of an existential crisis. Um, but, but this is, but no, that's, not a no, 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 it isn't. It isn't. I, I think it's, it's great stuff. And definitely with the listeners to really like me right now, reflect on, you know, what am I doing as an educator to help promote, you know, well-being and, you know, like mental health. So in the classroom, right. Mm -hmm. And myself and just identity. So it's, it's just really interesting. Like <laughs> you, you've just got my, my, uh, you've got my, uh, my, my wheels turning. And then kind of just going off that, it's like progress can't necessarily get made if we're not discussing it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that the assumption is often, like just coming back to what we're talking about for our, our um, LGBTQ2 plus students, uh, mm -hmm. I think that the assumption is often that their teachers are like heterosexual, 
um, like for me, for example, when I come in, students will say, are you married? What's your husband's name? Yep. And, you know, like the assumption is right away that I'm obviously straight and that I'm obviously cis. And that's just immediately how students perceive us as their teachers. And so mm -hmm. for them to know that not all, not all of their teachers are going to be straight cis women. Like it's just yeah. like, <laughs> 100%. not going to happen. Um, I think that it's, it can be really empowering for our students who uh, aren't out yet or who are um, struggling with with being able to talk about their pronoun usage or change their pronouns uh, to just feel comfortable and safe doing so. Even if they're not ready to do it at home, if they can feel ready to do it in the classroom, I think that's a huge step. Doesn't it, and isn't it just so rewarding when you have a student that, you know, comes to you and expresses, you know, that sexual orientation or go, or I've had, I, I think in my career, I've had four students come up to me and uh, actually express that they were trans and say, hey, this is, you know, my name that I want to go by. This is the pronoun. And, you know, it fills you with this joy because you're like, oh my gosh, you're developing it into who you want to be. And you're trusting me with this to treat you how you want to be treated freely, right? Mm. And I know you've experienced that before, like mm. that, that it's just, it's a beautiful thing, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it goes to show that we have so much power to help create that safety for our students, right? Like it really does. It starts with us and, and that's really important because um, schools can either be a place where a student experiences the most mental health crises or the least mental health crises. And so what do we want to be as frontline workers when we're seeing that in action? A hundred percent. And, you know, building off that, uh, building off that, I really think that that's, that's why it's important for us to, I guess I, I don't want, it's like normalize mental health conversations. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I'm not, I'm not saying, yeah. it, you know, so where it's not, it's not as taboo. And the idea that, you know, at home, they can have a, a, you know, this low, this low status where they're unhappy because, you know, maybe their parents aren't there, this and that, or at school because they're being bullied. So it really is up to us to, we, you know, you know, a teacher is not just one thing. We are teachers, we are life coaches, <laughs> we are babysitters, we are, we're, we're everything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and mental health of our students needs to be at the forefront. Mm -hmm. They cannot learn if they are not mentally, you know, well or capable mm -hmm. to um, do so, you know? Does your school, um, in terms of like professional development and things like that, mm -hmm. do they put a heavy emphasis on mental health or? Oh, absolutely. There is nice. so much that goes into it. Social emotional learning is probably the number one pillar for our school. As, as our school says, it's like, we want to develop the whole child. Mm -hmm. We don't want to just go, Hey, congratulations. You're good at math. Enjoy, you know, your college experience. Yeah. We we're kind of just like, Hey, we want to teach you. We want you to have strategies and we want you to go out into the world and not be a douchebag. Like it's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of the model, uh, uh, the motto on the high school staff are like, don't be a douche, like yeah. be kind and, um, really work on yourself. That's why we have so many outlets. Um, like we even have, a like a meditation class type thing. That's so uh, cool. Yeah. And we're always pushing mindfulness. We uh, have, you ever heard of the ruler program? I have heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, uh, they, they have this, uh, it's this, 
I guess it's like a grid of four different colors. Mm -hmm. So when students come into a classroom, they can move a magnet to where they are in terms of their mood to kind of without verbally saying, mm -hmm. like, here's where I'm, I'm at. So if like kids are in the red, I can kind of, you know, see who's, yeah. you know, make my, um, make my little guesses of who's in the red. So I know how to approach a situation, mm -hmm. you know? And that's just a that. great, I just love that strategy. That's always yeah. been really, really cool. Uh, I'm about to say, and then in uh, where your public school where you work, uh, what kind of, uh, I, I guess, like strategies and programs are you guys implementing from what you have? Um. <laughs> I, I'm like I'm like here it goes back to a lot of resources conversation uh, what am I doing because what I do is really different than what a lot of my colleagues choose to do I I am curious about the overall general push because obviously you being so focused on mental health you're you have tricks up your sleeve for mm -hmm. days um compared to maybe your colleagues that you know don't have that same passion mm -hmm. or push yeah, um, I mean, we have a lot of autonomy over what professional development we choose to do. And I would, I would say that most folks, when a professional development day comes around, they look for things within their subject area. So rather mm -hmm. than looking for things that focus specifically on mental health or indigenizing education or, um, you know, expanding our like BIPOC resources, all of those kinds of things, I feel like people tend to just gravitate toward what they know and mm -hmm. so then like social studies teachers will go and do social studies uh protees and english teachers will do english protees and you might get some of those resources within those professional development days but it's not comprehensive or kind of um submersive in the yeah. same way as it would be if you were to do like an entire weekend on mental health and mental wellness so it's like checking a box yeah exactly so um if I'm being totally honest, one of the reasons I started this podcast and blog in the first place was because I could see areas in which people just weren't, they weren't doing what needed to be done at the base level. And I don't think that that's for lack of wanting to, I think it's for lack of understanding how to. Yeah. But here's, here's the thing I want to throw onto that is we're talking about the idea of what are we doing beyond our common expectations, right? So mind you, again, like I think back to working in public school, how I'm like, it's hours upon hours, I'm juggling all these things, I might not have the energy at the end of the day. But if if teachers really want to hone their craft, and they really want to care for all their students, like this is something that they need to prioritize. Mm -hmm. But that's me being hard. Like I am very much that person. I'm in special education, so you know, like I, I'm pushing for it, and you know, you're pushing for mental health. But it's mm -hmm. like, I, I guess I'm always asking educators, what are you doing beyond just clocking in, clocking out? You know, because because our our mindset. But then I even think like towards my English curriculum at every grade level, I uh, teach a self help book. That's cool. Yeah. So like that's I really uh, cool. like. Yeah, that's and actually so funny. I teach like at every grade level, I choose one book that's focused on mental health. <laughs> oh, see, we are aligned with this. I love this. But it's it's important. We think about like our I always think when I'm teaching, like, what do I what did my teachers do that I did not like? Right. Yeah. And what do I wish I, I had? Right. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And I really think back to high school. I can't remember a, a single book. I tell my kids, I, I use spark notes on pretty much every book in, in, in high school. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, guys, I have like, I, I played this, but it was the idea of, you know, why are we, why are we reading books from the 1800s when, you know, there's so much literature out there that develops the person rather than, oh, we're just going over like this, this general theme. It's mm. like, why don't we, why don't we study, why don't we read verbal judo to know how to effectively communicate and empathize? Why don't we read the happiness advantage to yes. understand the science behind our brain and how we can completely change um, our, like shift our paradigms and perspective. Totally. So I'm so happy we're on the the same boat with that. Cause it, it, you're right. You know what? You're completely right. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to retract what I'm saying. I'm going back <laughs> on it. I know my students are going to, are going to go, wow. Like, huh? Like he, I've never, you know, seen him go back on something, but I think you brought up a great counterpoint. We, these are simple strategies that all teachers can use in their mm -hmm. classroom. If, even if it's social studies or math or whatever it may be, you can, there's simple little tricks. Mm -hmm. And now I'm thinking about my colleagues. I'm like, hang on, they do some pretty cool stuff in their class. Uh, um, but again, I'm in a much different situation than yeah. the majority of private schools. Yeah, for sure. What do you wish that all classroom teachers knew about their students? Okay, I wish, and this is what I always say, I wish they would remind themselves that these are teenagers or kids, right? Give them grace. And we always say, oh, treat people with kindness or, you know, you don't understand what's going on in someone's day, but really practice what you preach mm -hmm. with these kids. Give them that grace and really try and understand them. What would be the most helpful thing for teachers to do to support youth if they were to choose to work in a private school setting? I think it goes back to the whole idea of perspective. Just because they come from a wealthy family or their lives seem seemingly like happy, that they are still kids going through, you know, the, the growing pains of life and they have their own obstacles. So just be understanding and also cultivate that relationship mm -hmm. cultivate it like these aren't you know cold kids or this and that and they're not better than the kids at public school they're just as important and like and just as and just as life-changing mm -hmm. we think back to the students that changed our lives i can think of various examples in public and private so totally. private school private school teachers um need to understand that it's uh, fostering the whole kid and it's up to us to do so I'm really glad you said that because um, I was thinking back to earlier in our conversation and and I was like, oh, I, I should have asked about relation because that's another assumption I think that is often made about private school is that these kids don't need the relationship with their teachers and um, that it, you don't need to work as hard to build them because they have relationships at home with their families. But I think that what you said right now is really a really important point. You still need to cultivate those relationships and they're just mm -hmm. as meaningful and important whether you're in public school or whether you're in private school. 100% and you can truly, like especially with a student struggling with mental health issues, you can really be the catalyst for that change in their lives. You can completely change your lives around. And we can think of various examples from our own experiences and people listening, you know, know those different kids where you're like, wow, like I do have that power to really make that change. Mm, totally. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much. I don't have any other questions. I think we've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah, I, and again, I am just so thankful to be on here and to have this conversation. You are so intellectual and I, and I stand behind uh, your mission wholeheartedly and I'm so happy yeah. that you're doing it. Even from this conversation, I, I, and I hope the people listening are getting the same thing. I feel like I am really reflecting on my own practices and my own mindsets. And I hope you, everyone else is really listening to you as well in the words that you're saying, because this is great Well, advice. I think you made it really easy for me today. <laughs> <laughs> you made it really easy. You were super charismatic, really comfortable and easygoing to talk to. So I really appreciate you coming and bringing like your whole self and being so open and candid and, and honest with your answers and just being so willing to engage in this discussion. And thank you so much. And again, everyone, cheap plug, you can find me at www.mrgoodygrammar.com or on YouTube. Make sure to subscribe. <laughs> and I will post the link in the um, description on the podcast as well so that people can very easily find you because I think they I should. Uh, so if, um, if you're interested in this podcast or you're interested in future podcasts, please don't forget to subscribe and hit like and share and do whatever you want. And of course, make sure that you do the same for Mr. Goody Grammar over here. <laughs> and have a wonderful day, everybody. 